888-432-1568. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. judgment greater than anything you've ever known it won't be long your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God and every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father will you bow Will you surrender to his majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm 
while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. If we are going to survive what is coming upon us in this horrendous storm, life-threatening storm that is about to break over the world, if we are going to survive that, it's going to require that we know how to pray. I have met very few people in my life who know how to pray. And I must tell you, prayer is the hardest work I do. You'll understand after you hear the broadcast today. Guy Bevington, holiness evangelist from the 1920s, was desperately ill. He was in a home where he was a guest, where he was to preach. And he caught some kind of sickness. And it was so desperate that he could not lift his arms or legs. He lay in the bed as a dead man. When the doctor came finally to see him, the doctor was very alarmed and immediately poured out very strong medicines for him to take. The lady of the house brought the medicine, and he said no. He couldn't see. His eyes were closed. He couldn't lift his arms. He said, no, I will not take them. Jesus is my healer. Well, she called him a crank. She called him a fanatic. The doctor called again. And the doctor said, you're going to die. I'll give you about four hours to live. And then you're going to die. And he was angry because Guy Bevington would not take his medicines. He was insulted by this. Of course, in that day, they could not afford to have infection spread. And so they were to come and take him to what they called the pest house to die. They did not want him to die in that home. He lay pleading the promises of Scripture in great agony, prepared to die, but also prepared to live. 
He knew God had sent him there. He knew he had a mission to accomplish. And he gave himself utterly and totally into the hands of God while he pleaded as loud as he could, barely a whisper, the promises of God. This, let me share with you the one very real promise. First John, the fifth chapter. I'll begin with a promise in verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we ask of him. That requires some very mature praying and intense praying that we would know what God wants and pray in accord with his will. Not our will, his will. Well, Guy Bevington began to recover quickly. His eyes began to open. He began to lift his arms. He began to experience the wholeness in his body. He felt the power of God come rushing into his body, and he was totally healed. He leaped from the bed, where before he could not even lift an arm or a leg couldn't stand he leapt from the bed shouting praise and victory but he had to go to the medical office to be checked that was a three-mile walk he walked it he was healed and while he was there there was one kind gentleman who said to him when i got home yesterday i told my wife about you And she was very much interested and said, I believe that man will be there on time. You take the horse and buggy down to the office with you and bring him up here for dinner. As soon as we got into the buggy, I said, Are you a saved man? He began crying and said, No. I wish I were. My wife is a backslider too. We're both backsliders. We've tried and tried and tried, but haven't been able to get back to the Lord. We've been going to every altar for years. We've heard of you. We've heard of your meetings, and we had planned to come. As we came near the gate, out she came, running to the buggy, and gave me her hand and helped me down. She about carried me right into the house. Oh, I knew that God would answer your prevailing prayers and heal you. I want to stop a moment. Prevailing prayer is what wins with God's heart. That's what Hannah did as she prayed for a child with Samuel. That was prevailing prayer that brought Samuel into her womb. She goes on, I'm so glad I am a miserable backslider, and I felt that God would heal you, and then you could prevail for my husband and me to get back to God. I have a sister living a half a mile from here. I went to see her yesterday, and she just broke down weeping and said, bring him over here. Well, while I was very hungry and weak and the dinner was on the table and steaming, I said, 
Do you want to get back to God badly enough to fall down here and stay here until you meet the conditions? Hear these key words, prevailing prayer, meeting the conditions. You'll understand more as I share this story. I'm reading to you from a book entitled Remarkable Incidents and Modern Miracles Through Prayer and Faith by Guy Bevington. She said yes, and down she went, and her husband also, and I with them. We pleaded the promises, and at 4.15, they were there at lunchtime, so they prayed for over four hours. He arose with shouts of victory. He grabbed me and carried me all over the house, shouting praises. And at that, she got the victory. And she began to jump up and down and dance about. We had a blessed time. We had dinner, the first meal I'd eaten in six days. Got the dishes washed up, washed up by 6 p.m. And then we got into the buggy and went to her sister's. As the wife jumped out of the buggy, she shouted, Hallelujah, and kept it up until the sister came running and crying. She threw her arms around her, pleading for us to come in and pray for her. We all dropped down on our faces in the kitchen. And as it was nice and warm, we went to praying. At 8 p.m., the husband of the unsafe sister came in, all black from his coal digging. The wife jumped up and threw her arms around him, saying, I'm trying to get back to God. Help me, help me. He began to cry, and he got down with us all, and they did some good digging and meeting conditions. What's he talking about, meeting the conditions? What are the conditions? Total surrender to Jesus. Giving up of your worldly life. No reserve held back. No attitudes. No tiffs. You just want God. I have met very few people in my life who want just God. They want Jesus. Usually they want something, and often it is the sickness, it's the pain, it's the anguish that draws us to begin to cry out to Jesus. But then, as we meet the conditions, God begins to go deeper in our heart, and we begin to see the wickedness that has separated us from him. And as we see that wickedness, the condition we must meet is unconditional surrender to Jesus. I know very, very few people who are willing to unconditionally surrender to Jesus. Are you willing? How much do you want God? I invite people to come to the National Prayer Chapel where we can pray together and talk together. People don't want to come. Why? They don't want to meet the conditions. They want their polite little church where everything is sweetness and light and no confrontation with sin and 
And no, we're not going to cry out to God this way. That'd be embarrassing. Then you will not hear God speak to you and you will not have the healing of your body and your soul that you desire so much because you're unwilling to meet the conditions of unconditional surrender to Jesus. This coal miner began to cry. He got down with all of us. They did some good digging. What does he mean? They dug into their wicked hearts, into their compromise. And they met the conditions. He got through first about 1030. Oh, wait a minute. They started praying at eight. It's now 1030 and he gets through. He drops down at his wife's side and he begins to plead as few have ever pleaded at 5.20 a.m. That is, they prayed until 5.20 a.m. when she finally got through. This was on a Sunday morning. I was much stronger and walked the floor and praised God until breakfast was ready. How precious the Savior was then. He'd not only healed me, but he had reclaimed four people inside of 14 hours, 15 hours. He had, we had magnified Jesus. I sat down at the table, but I couldn't eat. I had to get up and walk, bathed in tears of joy. Jesus was so real, so precious, that I just feasted on his presence. We all fell on our face in great adoration and joy until each one had poured out their hearts in praise. That was a most wonderful prayer and praise service. We finally stopped at 11.30 in the morning. Then the hostess said, Now, brother, you must eat something, as you did not eat with us this morning. So I did eat, but there was a continual bubbling up, a spirit of praise going up in my heart. It seemed it was the first that I began to realize that God, to know what God had done for me. So a strength returned. So did the volume of my praise. Well, now come some very remarkable workings of God. I remained there over the Sabbath, preaching that night, or rather had a meeting, for everything ran into a praise service. There wasn't much preaching done. We retired at 12 o'clock Sunday night. All of those four who were saved were seeking sanctification all day Sunday. What's he mean? Well, he means all four got on their faces before God and said, now we need this man of sin that's in our bodies, in our minds. We have the victory over him, but now we ask the Lord to totally remove him from us, to set us apart for himself. So it's unconditional surrender. And then it's asking that the Holy Spirit finish the work and sanctify them, make them totally holy. When I got up Monday morning at 7 o'clock, I found all four in the kitchen. They'd been wrestling all night. And the girl that had got saved in our first meeting on Saturday night 
was there seeking sanctification. I remained all day Monday, wrestled all night Monday night, and by nine o'clock Tuesday morning, the five had swept through to complete victory. See, in today's church, it's so shallow. Nobody even talks about these things. We don't even know they exist. But it's going to take this if you're going to make it through the hell that Satan is bringing upon the earth right now. If you don't know how to pray, if you give polite little children's prayers, oh, lay me down now to sleep. Oh, help me with this, Jesus. Do this for me, Jesus. No. Oh, even heal me, Jesus. I want to be well. Forget it. It's not going to work. He's not going to answer your prayer. Because first, you have not met any of the conditions. Secondly, you have not dug deep in your heart to expose every wicked thing that the Holy Spirit will shine his light upon. You wanted it all done in five minutes, and that was stretching it. I know one young lady. She can't stand to have her husband pray but a couple minutes, and then she's finished. And she wants to go back to her cell phone. She wants to go back to her TikTok. She wants to go back to her friends. She'll never get anything from God that way. And she will go to hell that way. He writes, I remained there until after dinner and felt strongly impressed to go back to John's. And on my informing these people, they all remonstrated and said, Brother Bevington, we want you here for a month at least. While we were at dinner, the Emmy preacher, having heard who was transpired, stopped in and joined them in pleading for me to remain, offering his church for as long as the Lord would lead me to occupy the pulpit. Well, that was something perplexing as these five who had been reclaimed and sanctified had relatives there that were backsliders, and the plea seemed to be based on good reasoning. But I went out to the barn and weighed the matter carefully and prayerfully, but God said, go back to John's. That was all I could get. The M.E. preacher said, let him go. When he gets through out there, we'll have him come back with us, In the meantime, we will circulate what God has done, and we will be in better shape for God to do his work. So on Wednesday morning, this nice man took me back to John's. We gave out tracts and advertised the meetings on the way out. We got out to John's just as he was coming in from work, and of course he had to admit the power of God in the healing of my body. He said, you are not expecting to hold any meetings here, are you? I said, yes, we want a meeting tonight. He said, are you able to preach tonight? Now here comes an opportunity to use a little strategy. He told his wife several times that he would never go to hear another holiness preacher, but said that evening to his wife, you may go, but I will not. And she told me what he had said. And I said, John, I'm somewhat weak and I don't have complete strength yet. I may need someone to to lean upon. It was a, a mile walk to the church. 
Now, John, I want to ask a favor of you. I want you to go along and take my arm to make it possible for me to walk that mile. You don't have to go in, but you're welcome to. He was a kind-hearted man. How could he refuse? Well, I prayed all the way down to know how to get him into the church, and then at the door I said, Now, John, we've gotten along fine, and I feel quite strong enough for the service, but I might fall on the platform, which would have a tendency to break up the meeting. And you, being a cool, level-headed fellow, could catch me and prevent a commotion. (laughs) Well, needless to say, he went to church. Sunday morning, some of them got through. John's wife was among them, seeking sanctification. We remained there all day Sunday until about 6 o'clock. Monday, making about 36 hours of prayer and praising and preaching and shouting. And now comes another way that God has of leading his people. I felt I must go, but said nothing and preached or rather tried to preach on Monday night. But again, the meeting was all prayer and praise. And all the time I could hear a voice saying, Go, go, go. So I gave in. The next morning, John hitched up the wagon to take me, as we supposed, to the depot some 12 miles away. I bade the wife and Frank goodbye but the wife said, I can't think that your work is done here. I had just one-third of the anticipated railroad fare, but off we went. We'd gone about three miles when John looked back and he said, I declare, I believe that's Jim. Well, who is Jim? Now, I've left something out that will need to be explained. When John's wife first wrote to me to come out and hold a meeting, she stated that there were 14 sanctified people here. Well, I sat and listened to the meeting as it began. I couldn't understand the proceedings. I finally said to little Frank sitting beside me, who are these people who are standing up and testifying. Well, he said, they're all members here. The superintendent, the class leaders, the officers of the church, they're all sanctified. By the time the seventh one got up, I was in doubt as to their having a right to testify and noticed the woman laying a quid of tobacco on the bench as she got up. I suppose that quid would have bothered her or hindered the display that she had planned. I endured until the ninth one. I couldn't stand it any longer, and I stood up and said, Mr. Yes, I said, Mr. I did not feel clear in addressing him as brother. I said, you sit down. He said, I don't have to sit down for you. I'm on my feet. I pointed my right index finger and said, you sit down there. And I tell you, he dropped like I'd shot him, but grabbed his hat, started for the door, and all but 11 people followed him. About 80 people went out. The girl that had gotten sanctified in the home back in the village and 10 more remained. Well, I did my best at preaching and dismissed the the small group, 
And as we were going out, John's wife said, Now you keep behind me, as that crowd is all out there, and I don't know just what for. As we stepped off the porch, here rushed up the man I'd called down, and all the tongue lashings in the world that a man got, I got it there. But I said, Come on, so we started out. He and others followed us for some distance, calling me about all the names in the catalogs of vengeance. Now we'll return to where John in the wagon said, I believe that's Jim. When I asked, who's Jim? He said, the man you called down. He's my cousin. I see he's bareheaded and he's yelling for us to stop. But brother Bevington, you need not fear as we have a loaded whip stock here and I'll protect you, even if he's my own cousin. Well, here we were coming. He was coming on horseback yelling at the top of his voice, Stop! Stop! Wait! So John stopped, and here he came, looking more like a wild man. He rushed up to the wagon. He threw the rein over the wagon brake, plunged into the wagon, and threw his arms around me and said, Oh, Brother Bevington, pray for me. I've been in hell ever since that Saturday night. I said, Do you really want God? Oh, yes, I said. Bad enough to get down here in the wagon on the public road and plead your way to the cross? Yes, yes. So I said, drive up along the fence, John. He did so, and we got down, he on one side of the wagon and I on the other. In about an hour, he burst out, Oh, God, oh, God, have mercy, have mercy, oh, God, save me from this awful hell that I'm rushing into. And he said, Oh, Brother Bevington, come over here. Oh, come over here. Take my hand. I'm slipping into hell right now. Oh, come over here. I said, No, I won't come over. You repent. Oh, brother, I'm going to hell. Well, if if you had your just desserts, you would have been there by now. Repent. Repent. Well, we were there by that fence from about 9 a.m., until 4.30 in the afternoon. Three times, some of his relatives came along, but they couldn't get him out of the wagon. One of his cousins, a wealthy farmer, came along with a flock of sheep and said to John, Who's that in the wagon? Well, that's Jim. What in the world's he doing in there? Jim yelled out, I'm getting to God. I want to stop a moment. Are you too sophisticated to get to God? Are you too sophisticated to go to heaven? Are you going to go to hell with your sophistication? If you don't learn to pray, you will go to hell. You're going to have to meet the conditions that God lays down. Not that you or some preacher lays down. You're going to have to meet the conditions that God lays down. It's going to take this kind of prayer for you to get to heaven. We have everything in the world to try to convince us that we should not pray like this. It's embarrassing. We've got to go somewhere. We've, We've got responsibilities. Yeah. Do you know how many people I've buried stood at their grave 
and said to the group, this man, this woman was too busy to get to God. His schedule was always full. He was always off to some next project or some entertainment. He was too busy to get to God. He never dug deep in his soul. He never met the conditions. He always had excuses. Is that who you are? Are you on your way to hell? You know about the gospel. You know about Jesus. You're not going to spend your money on the work of the gospel, are you? You're not going to spend any time on your face digging down, meeting the conditions, crying aloud to God. This man, this proud man cries out, I'm getting to God. Have you cried that way? So you play along, casual. You haven't gotten to God, have you? Oh, you have some sentimental little God deal. You say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Like you're trying to convince yourself. But you know in your heart, you've never met the conditions of God. And so you say, oh, I'm trying. Yes, you are trying God's patience. And at some point, he's going to say, that's enough. And he's going to cut you off. I don't say this casually. I have, I have witnessed too many men and women who've been cut off from God and have died and been cast into hell. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to get serious with God. For if you do not get serious with God, you will not make it through the trauma that's coming upon the earth. And you will lose your salvation. He continued. What are you doing in there? Jim yells out, I'm getting to God. The cousin made all sorts of threats against me and all of us, but Jim stayed in his place until he actually prayed through. Then he jumped up, shouting at the top of his voice, and he grabbed me. He landed us both on the ground. He carried me all around for nearly an hour, then jumped on his horse and started back. Well, I said, I can't make any train now, so I might as well go back to your house. That is just what he was expecting. To understand. There's a work of prayer that we must do because repentance is the only way into the kingdom of God. And that repentance must be complete. People say, Oh, I repent of my sins. Okay, the preacher says, you're good to go. You repented of your sins. No, you haven't even begun to repent for your sin. You're going to have to get on your face and stop asking the Lord to heal you or to give you what you think you want and recognize that the greatest issue facing you is not what you want. 
It's where you're going to spend eternity. Hell is not a pleasant place to go to. It is an eternity of fire, of anguish, of pain, of separation from God, separation from love and joy and peace and all the gift of the Spirit. There's no gift of the Spirit in hell. I don't know how to say this today in a way that you could understand. But you could begin to see. Now came one of the most remarkable seven weeks of my life. I never took off my clothes and never preached a sermon. I just lay day after night on my face, weeping, praying, groaning, pleading, imploring, beseeching the throne of grace in behalf of the ME Fellowship, the Methodist Church, consisting of 300 members. Some would get through and strike out for their friends, and they would come in wagon loads, bringing the provisions and feed and often their cows, and stay there until the whole load got saved and sanctified. Then they would strike out after someone else. That was kept up seven weeks, day and night. No one eating but one meal in 24 hours, and yet someone was out in the kitchen cooking all the time. I got such a burden that I would not even get up but lay right where I was, and they would come in at times and feed me like I was a baby. Well, they claimed there were over 400 people who got down on their faces and cried to God, and most of them prayed through. Of all the times I ever saw, this was the most remarkable. Some were praying. Others were crying, others were testifying, others were preaching, others were shouting, others were making restitution. But I just lay on my face, bathed in tears. And when it was over, I looked as though I'd gone through a hard six weeks. I think the most remarkable case was that of Jim's wife. She had been a boisterous person, a a woman who loved her makeup. Before this meeting, she would run and shout and give her boisterous testimony about her walk with Jesus. She was the first to get through. She lay under the power of God for 60 hours. That's right. She lay under the power of God for 60 hours. If you read the story of Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher who was the president of Princeton University, as the great awakening began to rumble through America, his wife lay in her bed like a child, unable to get up, bathed in tears for several days, so filled with the presence of God. She was the first to get through. She lay under the power of God some 60 hours and then was, oh, so different. None of the bold, hilarious conduct 
She had become utterly meek. She just walked the floor bathed in tears, wringing her hands, and not a, not a word fell from her lips. Just like a little country girl of eleven summers, and I tell you she lived salvation from then forward, she and her husband and many, yes, many more, lay there until they were sanctified. Of course, news soon reached the village that I had come back. And here the people came, the preacher as well. And he got sanctified, as did his wife and many of his members. So you see, it pays to mind God and trust in him. I'd love to rewrite these experiences and do hope that they will prove a blessing to many as they have to me. Real, steady, unselfish prayer will move things. And we need to mean what we say. A little girl said to her papa, who was saying that Jesus didn't mean all the things he said in the Bible, Papa, if Jesus didn't mean what he said, why didn't he say what he meant? I shouted, Amen. That's reason. I've seen ministers get down and pray for Jesus to heal some of their members, and seemingly they prayed in earnest. But if their prayers had been answered, they would have been more surprised than the folks were when Peter stood knocking at the door for entrance. I remember one who was prayed thus, and then I heard him deny that Jesus heals. My brother, my sister... time to get serious with God. We have things happening in this world that look as though the destruction of the world is at hand. The Norad gas pipe was sabotaged. It was not to Putin's advantage to sabotage his own source of income This is what takes the gas to Germany and other parts of Europe. But Mr. Biden said before all of this happened that if Russia invaded Ukraine, he was going to remove the Norad gas pipe. And I believe, I can't prove it, it's simply an opinion, I believe that the United States of America blew the gas pipe up which is an insanely stupid thing to do. But we watch as the crescendo grows in the banking sector, in inflation, in the actions of our government that are utterly beyond any comprehension of how another human being could do such a thing. Rules and regulations. Violence. Murder, mayhem, the abortion, the murder of God's babies. And we go along as though everything is okay. Don't worry. Be happy. Everything's okay. 
Mainstream media tells us, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. We've got it all under control. We know what we're doing. Oh, yes, they do. They're destroying the middle class and will cost millions of people their lives. Starvation. So I come back and I say, how bad do things have to become in this world? before you will finally turn to Jesus and away from your religion and meet the conditions of unconditional surrender to Jesus and take up your cross and follow him. What needs to happen for you to begin to claim the promises of Scripture? Luke, the 11th chapter. The promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out in power. Do you have that? Are you willing to pray? I feel like what I'm saying is blowing in the wind because most of you are so comfortable in your American life that you will not get serious until it all crashes and it's too late. And then as you face death, you might get serious. What will it take for you to finally get serious with Jesus and go after God? Prevailing prayer is prayer that doesn't stop until God answers. Standing by faith for the healing of the mind, the body, and the spirit. Meeting the conditions of unconditional surrender to Jesus, meeting the condition of being sanctified and made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ, being filled then with the Holy Spirit. When will you decide that you must get to God? Are you there now? No, I know. 99.9% of you who are listening have not done this yet. It's embarrassing. You don't want to, you don't want to do this. You're, you're too busy. You have other agenda items. But you hear me. If you don't get serious with God, you're going to die. And you're going to be cast into hell. And your intellectual beliefs about the gospel are not going to save you. In fact, most of your intellectual beliefs coming out of Calvinism, believing in the sinning Christian, will in fact take you straight to hell. I'm being straight up with you today. Some of you are so stubborn. You're going to have it your way or it's not going to happen. You expect God to come and bow down to you. It's not going to happen. You are going to have to go and stand before the judgment bar of God and hear the sentence that will be pronounced upon you as a judgment against you and cast you into hell. 
If you do not hear what I'm saying and begin to cry aloud to God and ask him, please, please hear my cry. I have to get to you. It may take you hours. It may take you days. Will you do it? Do you want God? Or are you so consumed with your cat, your dog, your children, your job, your recreation, your cell phone, your internet? Are you so consumed with everything available to you in this culture that you've put God on the back burner? I know as I am here today, there are many of you who are backslidden In fact, there are many of you who were never saved. They lied to you. Have you been saved? And have you backslidden? Or have you never been saved? You've just been indoctrinated into a religious culture and system. My brother, my sister, I want you for Jesus. The only reason I'm on this broadcast, I have one purpose, and that is to speak to you in such a way that you would go to God and secure your salvation for yourself. I cannot do it for you. You're going to have to do it. And it will take time and energy. It will cost you everything. But it's for eternity. It's for eternity. (laughs) Mighty God of heaven, I pray that you will come in power upon those who are listening to this broadcast. I ask Jesus that you would come and bring deep, heartbroken conviction of sin and turn men and women to yourself and cause a loud cry to go up that men and women would meet the conditions and would prevail in prayer until you come and meet them. Lord, please, we can't do this on our own. It's going to take the deep convicting power of the Holy Spirit to finally say, I'm going to hell. I've got to be saved. Lord, please come and minister to each one who's been listening today. Don't let them point to someone else and say, it's you where Pastor Ray's talking about you. No, no, I'm talking about every person who hears this broadcast Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm speaking the way I am to you, not to be mean. I'm speaking this way to you because I'm desperately concerned. I want you to enter into salvation. I want you to become a dynamic, powerful witness for Jesus Christ. I want you to lay your life down for him. I've ministered to so many 
who go only so far and then they're offended and they go away. I'm concerned for you. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We're going to die without him. Well, we're coming to the end of the month, and I want to thank each one of you who has been so kindly giving. We're not there yet, but we have a couple more days. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Michael. Thank each one of you. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Pray. And the Holy Spirit will teach you how to pray. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.